0: Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle, which is coming right up. But first, a few thoughts of my own. A young man called Ekozo Kwabi from South Africa is studying at Oxford University in England. He's studying law. He's a very gifted young man, very talented. And he's a Rhodes Scholar, which is one of those marvelous things where you get this great scholarship and generally get pushed into life because you've already demonstrated across the board talents both social, in, in sport, and academic. But the trouble with Mr. Kwabi is, in my opinion, is that he is biting the hand that feeds him. He is heading a movement to get Cecil John Rhodes, who formed the scholarships and who was a great benefactor of Oxford and other universities, but was also a British colonialist in Africa, uh, uh, trying to get his statue taken down. That. There's a movement to get rid of the benefactor. No trace of him should be left, according to this young man. And uh, just for good measure, he's decided that the French flag, the tricolor, uh, shouldn't be flown at the university either, because somehow he's equating that to the Nazis, which is a bit extreme. I do think that whatever it is, where it's a 3,000-year-old religious artifact, whether it is the Sphinx, or whether it is a more contemporary statue. These things are part of history. They have a place, they tell a story, they're evidence, they're testimony. Now, somebody wrote to me and said, if you feel that way, what about Hitler? Well, the fact is one or two statues of Hitler should probably preserve, be preserved, because they are part of history, part of the testimony of history. Uh, It's a delicate issue, but you can't go around destroying the past to please present values because you won't have any access to the past and you'll be unfounded, you'll be unfettered. Societies can't really work that way. I'm sure he's going to be a very successful young man and one day maybe a great British barrister maybe changes his mind about the past. Uh, Something that has concerned me for many decades is the plight of the homeless, the plight of the mentally ill on the streets and i've asked somebody who really knows about that to join linda gasparello the co-host of this program and myself to talk about it he is our old friend g wayne miller an author filmmaker and staff writer for the providence journal and you've been covering mental health homelessness that whole underside of our society the thing from which we avert our eyes or we hand a dollar to somebody and hope that somehow this will mend everything when it doesn't, uh, not that you shouldn't hand a dollar, but we'll get into that. Uh, how did you get interested in the plight of the homeless?
1: Well, I actually got interested uh, by way of people living with mental illness. When I first got to the Providence Journal a number of years ago, I was very lucky to be promoted to a beat that included, i n- now closed public psychiatric hospital, uh, a now closed uh, facility down in Exeter, Rhode Island, for people with developmental disabilities. So, very early on, I began to look at people with, living with mental illness, uh, and of course, there's a great overlap between people like that, many people like that, and poverty. And so, really, I, it, it was just sort of luck and circumstance, and, and, but it was an issue that touched me emotionally, because I, I, I feel empathy for people who are struggling in whatever way, whether with their mental health or their economic situation. Or, so, it partly came from the heart and partly came from good professional luck. Let's separate out as much as we can
0: for the moment, just for the moment, homelessness because of economic adversity and mental health. And assuming, if I'm right, and to correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that there is, part of the homelessness is simply economic. You can't pay the rent, you don't have a job, and you're on the street. And God, my heart goes out to people who are on the street. Or living in their cars or without a permanent place. All of those things. But I want to know why there are so many. And I'll tell you why I asked this question. When I got to England as a young man, 20 years old, in London, there were 27 known homeless people. Two-seven. Twenty-seven. Two-seven. Wow. They slept on the... This is one of the world's largest cities. Uh, They slept on the embankment under the arches, which had been made famous in the Depression. The authorities knew about them, knew who they were, uh, would take away their clothes, steam them to kill the lice, but not change them in any way. But It was very manageable, almost simplistically manageable. Today when London is one of the richest cities in the world, there are more than 100,000 people sleeping. Rough, as they say, the term is sleeping rough. Homeless, on the streets, night after night. What went wrong, I ask? And nobody's been able to answer it for me. Why, as countries get richer, does the homeless problem seem to get more aggravated?
1: Well, you know, in the United States, we have over half a million people who are currently listed as homeless, according to the Federal Department of Housing and Urban Development. Uh, That's a lot of people. It, It is a large group. And it's individually many different stories it is the story of people living with mental illness who no longer have access to programs who no longer have access to state psychiatric hospitals that humanely were closed many of them because they were warehouses so, so there's a subset of that group uh, with that group there are a number of veterans who are homeless and I think that is uh, you know equally Absolutely. shameful yeah. equally that shameful. Is shameful that is shameful and and the federal government there through the VA you know they're good VA centers, we happen to have one very good one here in Providence, but there's some that don't do the job well. Right. That's another group. And then, of course, you, you just have the economy. You know, we, we look at unemployment, the unemployment rate has come down in the United States. That's a very good thing. We no longer count, however, people who have just given up and no longer look for work. And those people live, they don't live paycheck to paycheck. They live day-to-day, day, and if they miss the rent, they're thrown out, and they're living in the car or taking their kids to a shelter. Or so it's a combination of factors. I
2: think there's another thing, too. We've got, there was a Financial Times study that was done in December looking at the poverty rate since the global financial crisis in 2008. And there one in five households now live in the U.S. in poverty.
1: That is a and true I statistic. And I think the
2: amazing Absolutely thing. Absolutely
0: incredible. In,
2: pos- in poverty, we have got, since um, the lowest group, um, the those earning in household income of $31,000 or less per year, um, that group grew five times faster than the middle class in the past seven years. And that makes... million adults, up from 43.2 million in 2008. That's an enormous amount. It's a disgraceful number. One of the things that they found that is the most interesting in this study is that the middle class has slipped into poverty very quickly, and when you lose your middle class, you lose people that had homes, maybe people with two jobs, and it is so easy when one person loses a job or somebody is holding two jobs and they lose one, To slip into poverty.
1: And and, and I'd like to. And homelessness. I'd like to inject a caveat here, too. When we say poverty, we're using federally defined standards of poverty, which vary by household size and relationship of people living in the household. For six people, a family of six people, the federal poverty level in 2014, the latest year we have data for, (laughs) was $32,473 for six people. Right. That's barely more than $500 a week <laughs> for six people. You That's cannot, right. in most parts of this country, rent a, you know, a decent place for $500 a week. You, know, you I, certainly can't. You, no. When you factor in health care, which many of these people don't have, and food and everything else, I don't know how people make it.
2: And when you talk about the jobs, I mean, the jobs are disappearing for a lot of reasons. I mean, the low-skilled jobs where a lot of people in poverty worked, that they're being lost to offshoring and... Um, you know, automation and offshoring and automation, you know, going together, you know, we've gotten to the point where the bad jobs of yesterday are better than the bad jobs of today. Um, And that's what we're left with. You make a very good point. Uh,
0: I used to have a small publishing company in Washington. We had our own print shop and we were all part of a happy family, basically. Uh, But by the time it the, the business had to be sold because the internet was eating up the paper uh, product and uh, uh, the printers. None of them have really found a decent job since, because right. there is no more printing.
1: And it's a specialized skill, as you say. That his and they were very good, existence.
0: particularly the top man. Who everything that could go wrong went wrong for this man. He was a gifted worker, a hard worker. Uh, and he uh, he had uh, family tragedy with disease, lost his house because he had too much mortgage on it before he lost his job, then he lost his job. And, uh, uh, you know, he, ha- he had to go back to minimum ma- wage work. Well, you can't live on the minimum wage, particularly if you've ever lived in another way. And this is very important, right. how you live. In America, we need certain things that are expensive. We need a safe place to live in, in a, in a possible neighborhood. Mostly, we need a vehicle so we can get Absolutely. work. Absolutely, uh, yes. These are yes. things that that you, are impossible. Make it very hard for the sliding middle class because they're used to those things and their whole concept of of life involves those things.
1: And and what this creates in the family dynamic and also for an individual is a term that's coming into vogue, uh, if that's the right term, in mental health circles and that's toxic stress. When you are living with these daily stresses, you don't know if you're going to be able to feed your children. Your car is probably going to break down because you couldn't afford to buy a brand new one. The landlord is, you know, hounding you because you're two months behind on the rent. That has an effect on the brain and how the brain operates. Right. And it, it tends to move some people who are not resilient, and that's a lot of people, a lot of us, into substance abuse, into depression, into anxiety, into other situations. Into crime. And into crime, and not just, not just crime outside of the house, but domestic violence. So all of these things are, are intertwined, but the, the very frustrating thing about this to me, you know, writing public service journalism is, most of these problems are solvable. Yeah. It's not like we have some mysterious new disease and we don't know where it came from. Or Poverty is a solvable problem. Maybe not for everyone, and maybe not in ways that everyone in this country would would like to to agree with, but these are solvable problems. And uh, it's, I, it's just disturbing like, that we don't solve them. I, I mean, would just like to line. say that
0: uh, for a while in New York City, I got the minimum wage. It's a business I had tried. It failed. Mm. And maybe because of what I was my expectation. I couldn't live on the minimum wage. In the end, I, because I was single, I had no dependents, I did what for me was a very smart thing, and which is I went to work in a restaurant because then you get the food. Uh, but how people could go out on the minimum wage and, and have children and keep families, and uh, it's atrociously small. Uh, we will raise it, but it still won't solve the problem. Mm-hmm. It'll help a little bit.
2: There is... Yeah. There's another factor in here, which is the education factor, which had also come out in this FT, Financial Times study, in December. And they were looking at 76% of household um, finished high school in 1971. Now it's only 40%. And when we're in this knowledge based society, um, I remember covering the Clinton administration when Al Gore was talking, Vice President Al Gore was talking about, we are going to be in the knowledge society for the future. You know, we need knowledge workers. And we're not getting these knowledge workers when you've got high school graduation records like that. It means that poverty and place are going to be tied together, places where the schools aren't up to snuff means you're not going to get the graduates means that you are going to have generational poverty in one area uh, and it's going to go We've on We've had and day. we see that
1: in many parts of this country now you know That's generation right. after generation if you're unlucky enough to be born in a very poor part of this country of which there are many poor parts you are not going to have good schools it's not like Beverly Hills we have poor people living with wealthier people in the Beverly Hills school system if you're not sending to private schools is a great school system. You're living in a community probably where the school is substandard for, for many different reasons. You can't attract teachers there. You, you, don't, you can't afford to pay teachers. You're, you're in a sense doomed or you, you at least have a really, really big struggle ahead of you just on the educational front, Right. never mind finding the jobs. But, you know, education is the key to Success in life.
2: And it's the key to mobility. And one of the things in the United States we have, as you've always said, Llewellyn, is we have the ability in the United States to move from place to place, to recreate ourselves. Well, if you've got an education, you've got a better ability to do that. Well, you even know
0: where to move. I'm going to interrupt you for a moment for station identification, primarily for the benefit of our listeners on Sirius XM Radio, Channel 124 where the audio from this program is heard four times every weekend. Uh, You are listening to White House Chronicle with myself, Llewellyn King, with Linda Gasparello, co-host of this program, and the very distinguished G. Wayne Miller, who is an author, a filmmaker, but also has devoted much of his professional career to writing about homelessness, mental health, and all of those very unfortunate things at the bottom of the social structure. Uh, This program can be seen on 200 American television stations and around the world on the English language broadcasts of Voice of America, both radio and television. Are there any fixes? You've watched this for a long time. Is there something that if you were an authority, if you were the President of the United States, this is White House Chronicle, what would you be pushing? You couldn't fix it yourself, but what would you be pushing that would
1: make a difference? I would, I would start with education, reforming the education system, and I would. there are many ways you can do that through the federal system, and there are ways you can encourage states and communities to improve education. Improve education. I mean, that's where I would begin. Uh, it's a complicated topic as to exactly what you would do, but you have to improve the quality of education. You have to get a better and, and more uh, spirited teacher core. So I would start there. Uh, health care is obviously critical from, from, birth to, from birth to death, cradle to grave, uh, health care of all kinds, and particularly mental health care. The, the United States, and I'm speaking very generally, of course it varied by, state by state, but in the 1960s, virtually every state had at least one major public psychiatric hospital and they were snake pits. Mm-hmm. Anybody who was there lived through them, chronicled it. I did in the closing days in in the early 80s uh, here in Rhode Island. They were closed for humane reasons. Let's get people back into the community. Let's give them a chance at life. Let's not suck them into this place for sometimes very flimsy excuses and and destroy them. Humane motivation. There were many community programs that were established during that process of deinstitutionalization. Those over the last two and three decades have been slowly defunded, have slowly fragmented and it's become a mess in terms of trying to get services for people who really need it. And, Absolutely. and it's a relatively simple fix. You need a coordinated system that, that has services for everyone who needs it, from you know, minor anxiety to schizophrenia. You know, these, these are treatable problems. Right. And you can save lives and people can recover and, and can have hope and optimism, but the way the system is now, I don't see a whole lot. Yeah. There are certainly many programs that are good, but in terms of a coordinated system, we have just totally failed, and it's a, it's a public disgrace. Do we have any national leader, politician or otherwise,
0: we do. We, who we, speaks we, out on this issue?
1: We, ha- we have, and I've written a little bit about him. Uh, it's Tim Murphy, and he's a Republican representative from Pennsylvania. And he was a psychologist. He was actually a teaching psychologist at a university and a clinician. And he has been sort of a lone voice in Congress, for oh, that's a wilderness, too. <laughs> and that is a wilderness, but he, he, he is very dogged. He's a very smart man. He knows the field well, having been a clinician and an academic in, in psychology, and he has pushed year after year. He's reintroduced a major bill again in, in 2016, and he's getting slowly people to sign on because he's presenting the larger picture. If we can fix mental illness or treatment for mentally ill people, there's a ripple effect through society. Violence can be decreased, employment can be increased, and so forth and so on. We can take a, a stab at homelessness because, these, again, these are all overlapping and intertwined problems. So, it, but he how, is a lone voice.
2: I was just saying, how
1: is he succeeding?
0: Tim Murphy of, of Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Republican oh, Pennsylvania. Congress. Let's give him
1: credit. Let's, Let's give him uh, credit. And, and Patrick Kennedy from Rhode Island, no longer in Congress, was a was, a was huge a champion. He still is outside of Congress. but. These are rare voices in Congress. So
2: yeah, I'm li- I'm thinking about Tim and and you know in this uh, congressional atmosphere where nobody will spend anything right. on anything that smacks of public funding for projects like mental health or housing or whatever, uh, how is he doing there? I mean, what is there? You know, are there are there any like-minded colleagues that have?
1: There are some, and, and again, he and just,
2: how about the Senate? Have they?
1: I'm not aware signed of anyone. On, you know, signed raised, on to the rich <laughs> man. No, I'm not aware of anyone raising the flag in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mr. Murphy, who you know, again, I, he's a very laudable and admirable person. Um, he has fixes. And part of his fix. Don't. It's not all like pouring more money into it. So let's be more smarter about the resources we yeah, have. Yeah, that's right. You know, we have money here. We do have money. I'm but so glad to, you said that. That's the turn right we
2: need places. to take. I'm now so glad smarter. you said
1: that because every time I ask anybody in
0: Congress about it, it'll cost too much. That's right. It's that's the uh, rhetoric. The same He's, thing, unfortunately. Right. Right happens in many places. It even happens in public television. We we are at a public television yeah. station recording this program uh, where if you have a new idea, it'll cost too much money. Before anybody has looked at the money, how much is required It's a sort of automatic response. It is. That things are the way they are because there isn't enough money. That's not why they are the way they are.
1: No, I mean, that's a piece of it, but it may not even be the largest piece of it. I urge people to go to, to uh, Representative Murphy's website. You can read his legislation. He's got explainers, FAQs and so forth and so on and he is gaining the support slowly and you know, Lord knows where he'll go in a presidential election year because he sees it as not simply throw more money at something.
0: Also I think one of the unfortunate things is that there is no voice from the community that is suffering. That Um, is correct. Uh, I've noticed with various things that when you can get that voice, AIDS stands out. When, when enough talented people were dying of AIDS, it stopped being stigmatized and we started yes, uh, looking at it. Uh, prison reform was a big issue at the time of the Vietnam War because middle class kids were being in prison. They were saying, this is ghastly. The moment the Vietnam War was over and you didn't have journalists and lawyers and people who can use the language to further a cause, talking about the horrific conditions in the prisons, it stopped. And everybody started assuming people in the prisons are there and deserve whatever they get.
1: They're there for good reason. people. Patrick said. Kennedy, you know, ex-Congressman from Rhode Island, was was one such voice. I mean, there, there are people at the Mental Health America, the National Advocacy Group, the National yeah. Alliance for the Mentally Ill, who who are voices and figures, but there there are very few of the stature that you're talking about. There have been a few voices in Hollywood. Part of that relates to the nature of mental illness. You know, it's not necessarily what you want to do to be on TV all the time. It's and not pretty. It's not. Uh, no, it's, it's not. not. But so so a rational approach has to come here, and you know we get we saying we we 320 million Americans we get tied up in knots about a lot of different things. Uh, This is one where we we should be able to find common ground pretty easily. These are people who are suffering and if you can alleviate suffering, not only they individually, but society benefits. To me, it's like a win-win, but sometimes you feel like you're shouting down a well. I've written about this stuff for years.
2: Uh, You know, people who (laughs) write about it for years say the same thing, that you can write the most poignant articles on the most heart-wrenching things about the way people live in poverty or with mental illness, and it simply does not translate into action programs that are going to help a great many people. It may help a few in a a small community, but not a great many people, and not certainly scaling up to, like, a national war on mental health or something, you know, anything that that a president would take on or that, you know, that you would get a groundswell of sympathy in Congress. Um,
1: and, it, you know, look, it's not as if this is some rare condition that nobody's heard of or maybe somebody in Alaska or wherever. There are almost 50 million people, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, who have a diagnosable mental Condition. So everyone is touched, either directly or indirectly, by this.
2: That's right.
1: So uh, you know, again, uh, it
2: but it's something that America, I think, just likes to sweep under the rug. Well, and there's you a know, long history of stigma. And you it's know. complicated. It is yeah. complicated.
1: Don't forget, it wasn't that many years ago that we we, we took we again, you know, our our ancestors took mentally ill people and locked them in root cellars and attics. Yeah, and then sent them to the poorhouse and locked them and in, then I think, in you know, jail cells, and and you know I won't even use the language under, under to the George, ask you what, sorry. Uh,
2: I was just going to say that I remember that under the George W. Bush administration, um, there was this idea that you know we needed the churches you know to step in, and I think. I think a lot of that was done in a very, very good spirit, but the churches can't do everything. I mean, they're, no, they're they, strained as they are. Exactly. Um, and when it comes to mental health, you know, that's just the hardest the of all. The
1: beauty of mental health though, and, and I happen to be married to a mental health therapist, good therapy and treatment works most of the time. Providing
2: you keep, keep up the treatment. Exactly. I want you to ask to you what
0: seems up. like a trivial question. Yeah. But along with homelessness and mental health, we get beggars. All American cities have beggars. Washington has surprisingly many for a very prosperous city. All the downtown is full of people begging. And
1: some are veterans too,
0: by the way. uh, many people. San Francisco is atrocious. New York Uh, has always
2: been terrible. New York is
0: terrible. Is this a symptom and what do we do about that? Do you give the money? I do, because I look at anybody who's living in the street and I think how utterly awful. Not being able to sleep in a comfortable place, or to bathe. Right. Uh, I often do give money. I, I give them money, not a lot. Well, and I'm trying to be better about it. I'm trying not to look away when I do it. I'm trying to treat them as m- one of my as human own beings. personal experiences
2: yeah. was right in front of the White House. I was going in, um, and a man came up to me, just in terrible shape. I mean, smell terrible, look terrible. And um, my first reaction was, you know, just almost a gag reflex because he smelled so terrible. And he said, ma'am, um, I need some money. And I said, I was like, sure, sure, here. What do you need? And he said, you, he said, I, I need money. He said, I, I need to buy underwear. And I thought, oh. how crazy is this? But yes, he was wearing pants that shaved him. Oh. He needed just a simple pair of, he said, the chafing is so bad, I need underwear. I never even thought of this. To be able to
0: shower. To be able to shower. As we know, the homeless smell bad because they can't bathe. We don't have public toilets, and we discourage them in every possible way, um, other, unlike other countries where there are Public toilets are maintained by municipalities, by city authorities. We don't have them, and a very complicated reason for that, which is partly because we can't get wheelchairs into any designed public toilet of certain kind, and therefore,
2: which is a good intention, A good intention gone wrong.
0: But uh, visitors are appalled when they find you have to find a restaurant to see if you can use the toilet. There's no. Nothing in the street as there is in London, Paris, Rome, uh, right. uh, Argentina, doesn't matter. Um, uh, this is a terrible thing that they cannot bathe. I mean, can you imagine? You're sleeping on the ground.
1: And but then you go to, you know, the homeless shelters, there are certainly good homeless shelters, yeah. but a lot of them, are they're infested with, with vermin of different kinds. You're likely to be robbed or
2: hacked. And this It's particularly, is is particularly uh, poignant now well, this, with the cold in New York City. This yeah. brings
1: me where Governor
0: right. Cuomo, we got to the same place, Linda. Go we ahead. did. Yeah, no, go ahead. Where
2: Governor Cuomo has ordered uh, people on the street into the shelters, and it's at great sort of loggerheads with cannot, Mayor de, de Blasio. Not, they not will not go. go
0: because those um, shelters are so disgusting. And I mean.
2: there are 58,000 people on in any day that are in a homeless shelter for some reason, you know, I mean, you know, either, you know, either sleeping overnight there or, but they're, There are at least three or four thousand people on the street that will not go.
1: Well, and you know, you you kind of can't blame them. I mean, you want to you want to spend a night and worry all night whether you're going to be stabbed or beaten or, or get some disease or you know. I looked and homeless
2: advocates. We we have to we have
1: to go, but I looked at a commercial flop house by chance,
0: commercial one in New York, a frightening place. Right. Um, That is our program for today. Uh, We're out of time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Very important subject. And I say to the viewers and listeners, if you have a warm bed and a warm shower, be grateful. Amen. Cheers.